Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all these new faces here, and the old faces and new faces. I don't mean in age either, just the new people. There. It's great to see everybody. If you would, please, turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28. And we'll be reading 18 through 20 today. Today is going to be an exciting day. Uh, it's just going to be awesome uh, to see... Some of our saints here uh, go under the water and represent the powerful gospel and the power of the gospel and salvation in their lives. Matthew 28, reading verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Let us go ahead and, and open up in a quick prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for our time together this morning, as always, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would send your spirit right now into our hearts, freshly and with, with, with a renewed sense of power, Lord. Power to love you and to worship you, Lord. That you'd remove any distraction, Lord, that would keep us from hearing what it is that you would communicate to us this morning, Lord. Lord, help us. We are our own worst enemy. Lord, help us, remove us from the equation. If it's only just for this time being, Lord, help us to hear, all of us, including myself, what it is that you'd have to say to us through your word, Lord. And let the preaching of the word of God this morning be honoring in your sight, glorifying your name and blessing the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I would like us to take some time and focus on the ordinance, or what many would define as the sacrament of baptism. Uh, today, right after service, we'll enjoy the privilege and honor of worshiping our Lord by baptizing some fellow believers and members of our church. We have Skylar uh, Taylor, we have Dominique Chapman, Olivia Mayo, Ben Mayo, Lindsay Webster. All of these will be getting baptized right after church. So yeah. I have governed and written this sermon around this whole aspect because I believe it's extremely important. Uh, one of the brothers had pointed out to me this morning, he said, you know, this idea because we know that baptism isn't salvific in the sense that nothing in the water makes us Christians. And sometimes because it's not salvific, we tend to ignore it or put it on the back burner and not look at the reality and the value of why we're getting baptized. Where does the value come from? It comes from Christ, right? And when your king commands you to do something, we better be doing it. Right? It doesn't mean you're going to get baptized to get saved. You're getting baptized 
because you are saved and because the king told you to do so. And we want to honor the king in that way. Baptism is an important event in the believer's uh, walk with Jesus Christ that would symbolize the new life with a symbolic use of water. Uh, The Greek word for uh, baptism would be called baptizion, which actually means to plunge, to immerse, to sink, hence to wash, to be immersed under water. The Bible talks about water immersion baptism in which a believer makes a public confession of their faith. We saw this in, demonstrated in the book of Acts in, in chapter 8. He says, as they went along the road, there came to, to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. You see the urgency, right? John 3.23, it says that John, we know John gave the baptism of repentance, who was pointing to Christ, who would be the fulfillment of all things. He pointed out, he says, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and the people were coming and being baptized, which was also Christ's baptism was symbolic. Christ didn't need to be baptized to recognize his salvation. He is the chief. He is the orchestrator. He is a sovereign God over salvation, but it was also symbolic. Acts 10, 47, we hear this. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Can he? And the answer was yes. The Bible verses about baptism gives us guidance for the meaning of why we get baptized because it's in the word right it isn't just some tradition that we do here at the church and some fun thing that we do to make people feel good about themselves but it's ultimately it's what we see in the word of god it's in the word so we always want to go to the scriptures which is ultimately at the end of the day is our final authority nothing is beyond the the bible okay like we're not the authority the church doesn't rise above the bible Right? The Bible, the Word of God, is above all of life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that we hear a lot about as well. We hear these different baptisms. It refers to the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples in Acts 2. And this occurred after Jesus promised them. It says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which we read in Acts 1.5. Uh, This baptism is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And most denominations, include ourselves, believe that this baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. Now, there's other people that may disagree with that, but that's kind of of where we hold to uh, as here at 116. And I'd like to take a little time to remind all of us this morning before we get to the conclusion and the zenith of our afternoon, which we actually see the baptisms taking place, I would like to just reiterate what baptism actually means and what it doesn't mean, just for our clarification and edification for those of you who may be saying, I trust the Lord, I put my faith in Him, but I haven't been baptized yet. Okay, so this would be an encouragement for you to do that. 
okay? We must remember that the premise and foundation to any ordinance, whether it be baptism, communion, or any Sabbath day, or any festival, they all must begin with Christ. All must begin with our Lord. Otherwise, they are nothing more than an empty, vain ritual, which points to nothing more than formalism, dead religion, and self-glorification. If Christ is not our primary reason for what we do in the worship of the church and the ordinance in the church, they're done in vain. These ordinances never rise above Christ. They always are submissive and subservient to who Christ is. Matthew 28, 18 read, Jesus says this, he says, all authority in heaven. He doesn't say some of the authority or half of the authority. He's saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority, brothers and sisters, over everything. You have to understand this. The devil doesn't have authority over you. But in the sense if you are lost and you without Christ, yes, the devil is the ruler of your life in one sense, but ultimately he is also subservient to our Lord in heaven. Let us read what Colossians 1 says about Jesus' authority. Does any of us maybe there may be some confusion here, but let me read this verse to you and you will see these few verses of what we're to see Christ as. Well, the Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities of power, all things were created through him for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who has commanded you to get baptized. Think about this for a moment. This is the God who created all things, and in him all things are held together. He's preeminent. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one you're going to see when you pass away from this planet. If you're born again, he is the one that you're going to see upon your death. The glorious Savior you're going to see. You won't be asking him a bunch of questions why so-and-so never made it or whatever. You're going to be on your face in utter, beautiful ecstasy of being in the presence, the full presence of our Lord for all eternity. This is a beautiful thing. Psalms 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. He does all that He pleases. We say things and do things sometimes like, like we tell God what to do and what He can't do. Oh, let the Lord be the Lord of your life. No, He is the Lord of your life, whether you accept that or not. Amen. The reality, He is God. He is Lord, whether you accept Him as Lord or not. He is still Lord, and He's still Lord over your life. But it's going to be a Lord of judgment opposed to a friend of God and being reconciled to God. He is still Lord. He is still King. He is still the Creator, and He's still the one that you're accountable for. As we go on to read here, Psalms 24.1 says just that. It says, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. 
And he goes further. And all of its fullness. Wait a minute. The world. And wait. And all those who dwell therein. God owns you. But you're twice owned when you come to Christ. But he owns you creatively. He created you. He owns you. And he has every right to tell you what to do. Whether you like that or not. He is the reigning king. He is God. He is the first cause. He put everything together. He created everything. He has every right to say and do whatever he pleases. And this is where we have to be as the church. We have to come under his submission and realize this reality and rejoice when brothers and sisters stand boldly up and they say, I'm going to get baptized. Yeah, I'm terrified of people. I don't want to stand out there. I don't want to do this. But you know what? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. we got to swallow that fear and get courageous and say, Jesus, I love you more than anything else. I'm willing to get embarrassed. I'm willing to do whatever you ask and command me to do. And Jesus said, remember, I am always with you. I think it's such a beautiful illustration of someone that loves you so much that he wants to reiterate that at the very end of that. He says, hey, remember, I'm always with you, even in baptism. Even when you're doing that, I am there. I am with you. I'll always be with you. I'm with you at night when you're struggling and you're wrestling with all those thoughts going through your brain. What about all this self-condemnation that we put ourselves through constantly? I think if we would just realize that Christ is, is with you and he loves you despite ourselves right how rotten we can be how rebellious we can be at times but you got to understand something we can't change the mind of an all-loving sovereign god who ordained everything that comes to pass our screw-ups our sins our failures all the dumb things we do all the dumb things i do it doesn't change god's love towards you Because Christ is unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, God looks at us as if he's looking at his son, who's never sinned. So God is pleased with you. You put your faith in him, you may say, well, you have no idea how I've been over the last week. Well, you know what? God has every idea, and he still loves you. He still loves you, and he cares about you. And this, this is something that is just true in Scripture. And I want you to be reminded of that. Why? Because Christ reminds us of that. Because he said, remember. Because it's the easiest thing to forget, right? In, the, in our walk with the Lord, it's one of the easiest things I forget. Does God love me? You know? And I know you have times during the week, sometimes you have those struggles. You think, am I even saved? You know? Those are things, questions that pop into our minds at times. You know? And it, it's just... It's a walk of sanctification. The Christian life, and I I don't mean to say this disrespectfully, but it's really a life of trouble and hardships, right? I mean, we are literally stationed at the very gates of hell. We're on a battleship. We're at war. William Grinnell, the famous Puritan, said it is the bloodiest battle of all is the Christian faith. Why? Because we stand for truth. Whenever you stand for truth, you're always going to get retaliation. Always. You're always going to get the aggravation of an unconverted world coming against you when you stand for truth in any realm. It just happens. You notice this as you walk with the Lord. 
your personal walk with him, you will notice that there's family members, there's people or whatever that just don't like you because of where you stand in your faith of Jesus Christ. Do we accommodate that? No, we don't. We stand firm in a very loving way, not to go around our families and be jerks, but saying, hey, you know, I'm a believer. This is where I stand. I'm not going to move from this position. And stand, therefore, as the Bible tells us. I mean, it wasn't a suggestion by Christ, but a command to be obeyed. It's really not complicated like some hitting, hidden meeting shrouded in mystery, but a clear command to follow without any confusion. We see this clearly demonstrated in the Bible and doesn't leave anything left to the imagination. The, I, think, I think as deep as the gospel is, it's unending in its depths. But the simplicity and how it's written to us through God's word, being human beings, God keeps it very simple for us. Very simple. Nothing complicated about baptism. But people do complicate it. Trust me, they do. And I'm going to deal with that as well. There are some sects within the Christian faith who believe that the act of getting baptized is the part of their soteriology. Well, what's soteriology? It's the, what you believe is the, in the order of salvation. How is salvation accomplished? And many include baptism, not a lot, but there are a lot more denominations right now that are including baptism in the part of your salvific experience. What I mean by that, as you getting saved, you must be baptized as part of the salvation process, which is totally heretical, by the way. It's not true. There's no power in that tub out there. There's no power in that water. Right? I mean, you're just demonstrating as an illustration. You're preaching the gospel to people that are all around you. You're preaching the gospel by what you're illustrating to them. You're telling everybody today a story of the power of the gospel in your life and how it transformed you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And this is what we establish. Many believe that baptism is a means, and this is where they get you on this one, or they try to, is a means of grace. Therefore, holding to the position that it is of grace and not a human work. The Church of Christ is notorious for this. I'm not condemning any churches this morning, but all I'm saying is I'm condemning this particular view of baptism because it's unbiblical. To believe that you're going to get saved. And that they say, well, it, it, yeah, you are humanly doing it, but ultimately it's a means of grace. Therefore, they can remove you from that and say that that action still is required for salvation. I know Lutherans as well have a particular view on that as well. But they use, the, uh, the, they use this one to, to qualify or justify their view. They use Mark 6, 16. We've all read it, right? Um, if you haven't, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you right now. It's, it says when Jesus says this, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Those who try to use Mark 6, 16, 16 to teach the baptism is necessary for salvation commit a common but serious mistake that is sometimes called the negative inference fallacy or the law of non-contradiction. This is the rule to follow. If a statement is true, we cannot assume that all negations or opposites of that statement are also true. Such as, for example, the statement a dog with brown spots is an animal is true. However, the negative, if a dog does not have brown spots, it is not an animal. Do you see that? It's false. 
in the same way he who believes and is baptized will be saved is true. The statement, he who believes but is not baptized will not be saved, is an unwarranted assumption, is what that is. And that is a, that is a fallacy. And I'm not going to get deep into that because I don't have time to do that this morning. Then we ask ourselves, what about infant baptism? Infant baptism. Are the Presbyterians wrong in this assumption? I believe they are. I believe they are. And, I, and I'm, 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 I'm Baptist, right? I'm a Baptist, and I'm unashamedly a, a, a Baptist. And I don't want to... I have a lot of dear brothers who are Presbyterians and all this. I love them dearly. And I know that they could probably argue with me back and forth and debate me probably all day long. So I'm not going to be... Um, I'm not going to misinterpret their position and pretend like I know everything about what they believe. And I'm not going to mischaracterize them this morning as well. But I would like to point out the fallacy or the, 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 their view of this is wrong. They hold to Colossians 2, 11 and 12, uh, which says, In him also, you'll hear this, right? Because they correlate it with circumcision, right? And, and I, I think we, we can do that. We can correlate it with with circumcision, but in the right way. I think they're going the wrong way. They take this verse this way. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. That's where they fail. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. But once again, this particular verse has nothing to do with water baptism, but everything to do with the gospel. You got to be careful because baptism is thrown around in different verses and they don't all mean water baptism. And people can look at it and say, well, look, it says baptized and this, this, and this. Yeah, but sometimes, as we'll get to, it's not dealing with water baptism. It's dealing with another reality in the sense of the gospel, which I will also get into. They also like um, to use the jailer in Acts 16.28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for the light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So they're pulling that in as a proof verse saying that children are baptized within that. It's an assumption because nowhere in Holy Scripture is there any indication that baptism or human action is worthy of any kind of salvific merit or covenant merit whatsoever. Okay, listen, I won't beat this to death, but I'm going to say this. If baptism of babies was so important, then why don't you see it in Scripture anywhere? I'm I'm just saying this from a common sense approach. I'm not saying this to act like I know everything, but it, it really is something that you need to deal with because I've read the entire Bible through many times, and I never once see a baby specifically being compartmentalized, being baptized. So if baptism was so important to the covenant why don't you ever see anything in Scripture that shows a baby being baptized? I would just like to I throw that question out there. Everybody gets mad when you say it, but the reality is it's, it's, it's true. It's one of those things that's always baffled me. Like, if it's that important, then I think it, you would see more of that 
in Scripture, but you just you just don't see it. But what do you see? People getting baptized, they're getting dunked. They're going under the water. Even Christ. I mean, these these all of these scriptures are showing very clearly, if you just read them at face value, these people are getting dunked. They're getting immersed. They're getting plunged under the water because when you're plunged under the water, what does that signify? What does that illustrate? That you're going down into the grave. You are being buried. When you go under that water, you are buried under that water. And when you come up, it's like you're coming up out of the grave, a new person. And this is what symbolized, and this is what you're illustrating here, and this is why it's so powerful. And none of these verses contextually agree or endorses babies being baptized, but quite the opposite. The only place in Scripture where baptisms are happening are from those who already confessed their allegiance to Jesus by being born again and being completely immersed or plunged underneath the water. Charles Spurgeon says this concerning infant baptism. He says, If I thought it wrong to be a Baptist, I should give it up and become what I believe to be right. If we could find infant baptism in the Word of God, we should adopt it. It would help us out of a great difficulty, for it would take away from us that reproach which is attached to us. That we are odd and do not as other people do. But we have looked well through the Bible and cannot find it. And do not believe that it is there. Nor do we believe that others can find infant baptism in the scriptures unless they themselves first put it there. What we see here is an illustration of what happens to when we are granted eternal life through our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is paralleled in Romans 6, giving us the spiritual context of baptism. So this this is the context here, is that in Romans 6, if you turn there, 6.3, Paul is declaring to what truly happens when we think of the reality of what true baptism is. I'm not talking about water baptism. In Romans 6, 3, it says, Do you not know that as many of us, listen, were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, and here's what he says, in the newness of life. And then Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united together, in union together, in the likeness of his death, certainly we should all be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 6.3, we says that we were baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 6.3 says, baptism into his death. Then we are buried with him through baptism, united together in the likeness of his death. We shall rise in the likeness of his resurrection, and then we should walk in the newness of life. This is the gospel's power, brothers and sisters. This is, the, this is what has happened to you before you get baptized. And when you get baptized out there, this is what you're proclaiming to everyone around you. The gospel's power. 
is what you are representing. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ezekiel 11.19 says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I'll put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36.26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone of your flesh and give you a new heart. Jeremiah 31.33, For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declareth the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews 8.10, For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declareth the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the covenant that we're talking about that deals with a new heart of circumcision. This is a circumcised heart. This is what happens to us. We're not taking place of circumcision by baptism. Even baptism, though, is spoken in Scripture as a circumcision, as reflecting it. But I don't believe that circumcision has anything to deal with sprinkling babies. But that circumcision has everything to do with you becoming a new creation. When God circumcised your heart, He cut you spiritually. He performed a spiritual operation on you. Him, him by His own sovereign grace and His own will and His own power and His own pleasure chose from the very beginning of time. He ordained this to come to pass. He took out your heart when He wanted to and He put His Spirit within you and this is the new covenant and this is what baptism represents. Colossians 2.11, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by what? The circumcision of what? Of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is exciting stuff. This is an exciting day. Baptism is ultimately a declaration. It's a declaration. It's a, de- you're, you're, it's a declaration. It really is. It's a declaration and celebration. Remember this. When you get up there, it's time to celebrate. It really is. When you come out of that water, if you want to hoop and holler and scream and shout and run around the parking lot, you go right ahead. <laughs> we won't tease you. We, we promise. You're basically telling everyone around you, specifically the church, that you are saved. And it doesn't just stop there. You are letting everyone know of your decision so that they will hold you accountable to your declaration. And this is why church membership is so important. It's really hard to separate those two. But, you know, we, we can baptize, you know, regardless. But the reality is it all is like when you're baptized, you're brought in to the fellowship of God's people as a member. It all works together. But God is glorified through the action of 
baptism. It's declaring your commitment and your allegiance to Christ, but not only to Christ, brothers and sisters, to his body. And this is why local church membership is so powerful is because this reality is this, is you're saying, hey, guys, I'm doing this in front of all of you. This is why it's a public thing. Because they can all watch you get baptized and they all know in their hearts, this is it. You know anybody from other countries or come out of Islam or something and they come to the Christian faith, you know what happens. Everybody's cool with it until what? They get baptized. You ever notice that? They understand it very well in third world countries that you just don't do that because that means finality. Once you go down into that water and come up, it's final. You are dead and Christ is alive. And you're telling all the people around you, this is what happened to you. And they're going to say, okay, we'll remember this day. And when you start, you know, never coming to church, you're out living like the world, you're doing things that are totally contrary to the faith, your brothers and sisters at the church are going to say, brother, what is going on? Sister, what's happened? We saw you out there make the declaration but now we're not seeing what you're declaring anymore. Not that we don't sin and fail. doesn't mean we corner everybody and say, hey, you know, but the point is, is that in a general sense, we're to testify this reality and there's no turning back. If there's anything in you that thinks you're going to turn back, don't do it. I would say don't, don't do it if you're only doing it because you want to do it. The reality is do it because you know you've been changed and you are no longer alive to yourself, but you are alive to Christ and you are in, in allegiance with what he's commanded you to do. That it's, it's this way, it's never back. It's a final, final conclusion to what has just begun in your life. Thank you for being bold, brothers and sisters. Thank you for stepping up in faith. Thank you for being such a good testimony before all of us. We are so honored and so edified that you would do this today. It honors all of our souls. And we love you very much, and we support you, and we are behind you. So before you are immersed today, let's quickly remind ourselves of why. First of all, just remember, it's commanded by our king. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Second, Remembering this today, if anything else, that the baptism represents your conversion and nothing more. Okay, don't go home and say, I just got saved today because I got baptized. Know that you are representing your conversion. You're representing Christ in, their, in, in that decision. There's nothing special about the water, and this action does not save us, but the action shows to all of us around us that we are saved and also we just want to have an understanding before all to all of you this morning that you know just kind of wondering what in the world am i talking about i mean some of you may be new here maybe you're 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 not um you're not a christian you know you think this is all just a big joke and you laugh at it behind closed doors i'm not sure what happens but you may be an unbeliever you know i would say that there's an understanding that we must have and you must understand God's character because God is holy and he is righteous and he is perfect and he is just. So if you want to rebel against him, you can go ahead and do that and continue to do that. But there's no safety at your death at all. And God has a million ways to take you off this earth. Trust me, any one of us. 
to remove us instantly. It happens all the time. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. 86 people die per minute and go into eternity. We're all going to make up the bulk eventually. Let's just make sure that you're right with the Lord. Because just remember this. Just remember this. The God that you mock, the God that you rebel against. You can, be, you can have your little stage today, right? You can have your attention, but all your opinions are going to die with you. And you're going to stand before a holy God and give an account for your life, whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what's true. understand that reality and that Jesus Christ he went to that cross listen he was born of a virgin he was conceived of the Holy Spirit he kept God's law that we broke we lie we sin you know we we blaspheme God's name we look with lust constantly commit adultery in our hearts right we dishonor our parents we're greedy we're selfish we gossip we slander other people we're addicted to this stuff it's intrinsically showing that we're born in sin and we practice sin. But Jesus Christ, he was born as a man, as a human being in our place and lived a perfect life. He obeyed the covenantal demands and commands of our God. He kept the law perfectly in our place. He lived. He didn't just die for you. He also lived for you. And went to that cross. He identified. He wasn't up there as a zebra or a chicken. He was up there as a human being, a man, right? Leading men. He was man, but he's 100% God. When he went down to the grave, you see, you can't keep a man without sin in the grave because he was God. We go to the grave. If you're not a believer, you'll die twice. You'll die once here, and then you have eternal death, which the Bible calls the lake of fire, which will be forever. You'll never get any rest the torment, the Bible says, will be endless. I'm not trying to scare you into the kingdom, but I'm being honest with you that without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sin. You must come to Christ to be saved. He bore that full weight. He walked perfectly in our place as our substitute. As we look at the vicarious atonement that Christ took on what we couldn't do. He did what we were never able to do. We are sinful. He was sinless kept the commands, went to the cross, took the punishment that we deserve, the wrath and anger and hatred of God upon himself as if it was us. And this is why the Bible says you've been planted in his death at the cross of Calvary. If you were a Christian, you were there. He hung up on the cross as if it was you. Past, present, and future. He is Christ and he died for the sins of his people. And he went to the grave, the Bible says he sanctified the grave. And death couldn't hold him down. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And if you want to defeat death, hell, and the grave, put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Not say, I believe in Jesus and try to do good works to get into heaven. Trust that it's only his good works that will get you into heaven in your place. Trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ, who was perfect because we're not. Trust him and you'll pass from death to life. And then the action that's taken today will be the action that you will take someday. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for our time this morning. Lord, thank you for giving me the ability to even be able to speak, Lord. Very thankful, Lord, for what's going to happen today. Uh, I just want to just be excited, Lord, about what's going to take place, Lord. And that we'd all as a church... 
just celebrate this and we're going to eat and celebrate it as well because it is a big thing to be celebrated. And Lord, thank you just for being our God and our Lord and our King. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.